Hey, what's up, everyone? Uh, is, it, is it a commercial? You. Do you like chips? Like, do you really like chips? Where to the point where you're eating chips so much that you look around and there's crumbs and you're like, who put those crumbs there? Did I put those crumbs there? And I'm, and I'm here to tell you, yes, yes, you did, because you like chips. And if you like Cheetos, especially Flamin' Hot Cheetos, then you should tell people to subscribe to this channel, the Bitcoin podcast, because one out of a thousand, that's right. When we get a thousand subscribers, one of them is going to get a hundred bags of Cheetos, flaming hot Cheetos, baby. Think to yourself, how, how many Cheetos is that? And I'm here to tell you, it's like a million calories. If you ate it all, you would most definitely not be healthy, but we're going to send them to you because Flamin' Hot Cheetos are amazing. So that's right. Share this around. Get us to 1,000 subscribers. We'd like to have 1,000 subscribers because if we had 1,000 subscribers, that means one of those 1,000 subscribers is getting 100 bags of Flamin' Hot Cheetos. So, you know, do your thing, guys. Do that YouTube stuff. Hey, it's me again. Does your job still suck? Are you still mad at your job and therefore life sucking, then you should join the Bitcoin podcast Slack where the people there don't suck, or at least their jobs don't. So in essence, their lives don't either. Join the Slack. Welcome back to another Bitcoin podcast interview. I am Corey Petty. You got the other two today. Special guest. Make it to self later. Don't worry about them. What? Oh my god! It's all about the guests today. We're about the guests. An interview. <laughs> Who cares about you guys? Evan Van Ness. Uh, pause here. Everyone knows the star of this show is Jesse's hair. Like, look at that shit. It's not the donut. <laughs> it's got to be the donut. Wait here. Enjoy the donut. No man, that hair is. Did you make that donut? You made that donut, right? No, my girlfriend made that donut in one of her glasses in Blender. Yeah, better than you finding it on the internet, like this brick wall. <laughs> uh, Evan Van Ness, you got some things going on. Everyone knows you for Week in Ethereum, but things are happening. For those who don't know who you are, introduce yourself. Say where you came from, and uh, let's get into what Starbloom Ventures is. 
I come from Texas and Philadelphia by way of a little stint in Buenos Aires. And that's about where I come from. No, yeah. So uh, just announced, I guess, last week, a, a venture fund called Starbloom Ventures. Uh, and uh, we're going to invest in the future of Web3. So whatever that means, we'll figure that out. Um, you know, it's, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see where that goes. Uh, we haven't announced any investments yet. So we are, you know, out there doing the rounds of podcasts to try to find some. <laughs> nice. Oh, nice. So there's this podcast called the Bitcoin podcast that is like <laughs> focused on Web3. <laughs> uh, I'm going correct, correct Corey there. We're actually, we've steamrolled ahead to Web4. So we're... <laughs> we're oh, this is a con theme show. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, we no, I'm kidding, man. Well, congratulations, because I know that is like um, more than a little bit of work um, organizing something like that. And also um, dealing with lawyers. Yeah, that's the, you know, in the poker game of life. Can you, can you like walk us through? Because like you're not from what I understood, you didn't come from a, an investment background or a VC background. How did um, you go from what you had been doing in the community for so long to building this thing and kind of like, why did you decide to do it? Yeah. Good question. Uh, so I, I, um, you know, I worked in a startup before, uh, like getting into this full-time crypto thing. Uh, it's when I, you know, started doing weekend Ethereum news full-time. Um, before that, you know, I had done some financy stuff. Like I have like the CFA, uh, uh, I don't have the charter because I never paid my membership dues. And by the way, they're very picky about how you say the CFA exams and whatnot. There's like uh, many questions on the test about how you're supposed to refer to it. So I'm I'm in my head trying to figure out how I'm allowed to refer to it even now because they like brainwash you so ridiculously. Uh, but I did the CFA exams. I passed all of them and the CAI exams. Uh, and you know, my tickle leap, I kind of had a finance, a tickle leap, I kind of had a finance kind of role. Um, you know, I've also, you know, sort of invested my own money, uh, meager as it has always been, uh, through the years and, uh, always, you know, sort of like, like stocking, stock picking as a kid and, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I always kind of wanted to quote unquote, be a VC seemed like a fun thing to do. Um, so, you know, I figured I should try it. I've been doing some angel investments for a while now. So, you know, in some ways this is just formalizing that and, you know, we'll see, we'll see how I do. Right. Uh, um, you know, I think one, one challenging thing right now is that like, uh, valuations are, are crazy. <laughs> you know, people that don't have products out there, I think that they, you know, their, their thing is worth. $50 million, $100 million, $200 million. Well, and worth uh, is, that's the thing is the definition of worth is. How do you, how do you, how do you feel that? about that? I want to know how it feels like uh, this is kind of a two part question. It could work to seven. But in like 2017, people were getting all this funding and valuations based on PowerPoint slides or if they were really fancy prezies. And now I kind of feel like it's kind of returning to the same. Like, you know, just people are like, hey, you know, check out my post-it notes. And I mean, it's a really good idea, right? And some of BC is like, you know what? I'm going to take a shot on these post-it notes. 
Do you feel like um, <laughs> that's my wife? Say hi. <laughs> so she actually does exist. <laughs> never, never been on camera before. Here. Yeah, that's the most baller move I've ever seen. She was like, "I don't give a shit about this. Show. We got a life to live." She doesn't care about my career. Is really what. what <laughs> you you have your face at the end. I wish you I'm gonna take care of the family. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, I don't even know my. I guess what my question is is, do you ever see things becoming a little bit more? I guess traditional, where you actually have to have something built. You actually have to have. <laughs> and that's time. my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. This is great. Um, yeah, do you have to have something built? I mean, I, I would hope so. I, you know, I think in this space is so volatile that we sort of like uh vassal, oscillate back and forth for you like, to put money into an idea you want to see a product you want to see more than a prezi you want to see more than an instagram presence you want to see a something that works that can make right, i want tiktok TikTok. i want to see that you can market <laughs> oh shit um that's tough dude marketing is tough these days yeah i don't categorically rule out anything you know um so uh i wrote an angel check to near and 2018 i think uh, fall 2018 so they're there's their seed round um you know they were very clear that they weren't going to do a white paper which was you know very unusual at the time and i asked them why and they're like well because white papers are all bs like we've read all of the white papers in the space from like all these blockchains and they're all like mm-hmm total nonsense and i was like oh okay well these guys actually know what they're talking about because like that's right i totally agree with that and how did they then convince you that they they were the team that could build what they were building i mean they were legit i mean Ilya, for example uh wrote tensorflow uh which is uh like so i i had a couple years uh maybe like 20 14 to 2016, where uh, I was reading all of the neural net machine learning AI academic papers uh, and like coding them myself as well, which mostly meant that I was using Keras, which is which is a library. Uh, and I mean, I'm just a terrible coder. Like if I had to survive as a software dev, pretty sure my kids would starve. Um, but uh, so, you know, I was using Keras, which is a very easy to use uh, Python library. Uh, and uh, anyway, I mean, TensorFlow is like the back end uh, to help your GPUs. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> really? It's fine. Ignore it. Just let it happen. Nothing is going on. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Like I said, just doesn't care. Anyway, uh, so, <laughs> so he wrote TensorFlow. I mean, you know, he was like one of the two or three principal authors of TensorFlow, which is, you know, like super legit uh, GPU wow. programming. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, also he had uh, one of the major papers in uh, machine learning uh, on attention. Uh, it's been a while, but I'm pretty sure basically it was like you can use uh, this attention concept instead of using RNNs, recurrent neural nets, which at the time was a pretty big shift. Uh, so, you know, like he was very clearly like legit, like knew what he was doing, um, was like a very legit founder. Uh, and Alex Skidinoff was, uh, you know, had been at, um, what's it called? Mem- MemSQL. Uh, so, you know, he's like the founding engineer, like he had done sharded databases in production 
you know, um, for real things. So, I mean, there were just two very clearly like great founders who, uh, you know, were going to figure stuff out. Uh, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to take yourself back to 2018, but you know, it, it, it was clear that like they were going to do serious tech work and not just, you know, frankly, like I'm pretty critical of a lot of chains because I think they really just like entirely trade off decentralization for throughput and then like wave their hands and talk about how like they've done something real. And then they have, you know, $80 billion valuations <laughs> and it's absolutely crazy, you know? So Preach. Yeah, I think they've, I think they've done real real tech work. I mean, they they're still a little bit of a data center chain. I mean, like you know, they they have their some issues. They're not that decentralized yet, but you know, I mean, like uh, it's a legit a legit tech thing, and that's always been like the question. People always like call me on Twitter an ETH maxi, but for me, the like the question I ask myself is like, you know, should a blockchain exist? Um, and I mean, frankly, I don't think most of these should, including like stuff in the top 10 right now, uh, probably more than half of the top 10, honestly. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's uh, why I put money. In what is here. your criteria for that? Because okay, like, so like there's, there's this no criteria. I mean, like, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> what is what makes a blockchain have a purpose? Like, why would you do it? And. And. How do you reason between like the novelty that they try to introduce and then like the lack of like, I mean, I'm trying to figure out how all these things come together to say, this is reasonable to invest in. And cause I think it has legs. Yeah. And cause you like everyone understands we're in a, you know, the way things have gone over the past year, I'd say we're, we're, we're going, it's pretty bullish. That's never going to, that's not going to be the same thing forever. Some of the stuff is going to drop out. Some of the stuff is going to fail. They all have slight tweaks of novelty. As an as a, as a, like an investment thesis for a VC, what are you looking for? What is that like? These things don't exist. I wouldn't not, invest in this. I'm not terribly sure it's as objective as we'd like it to be. As as well, like, uh, you need, you as need an investment right? thesis, right? So like like that's the whole point of being having a firm or like a venture firm is we believe X. This is what we invest in we think it's going to be fruitful for us and potentially beneficial depending upon the type of venture you're in what is that for for star blue like why did you, why, why did you make this and why is it differentiated from the other ship that's out there yeah so i i would say that like frankly a lot of the venture capital funds and crypto over the past you know uh basically five six years have i mean basically just I don't know. I have a relatively negative opinion of all these people that have just brought these like these chains to market that have like relatively little fundamental innovation. But that has been probably the best way to get returns. And I think as the space matures, that is not going to be the case. Um, I, so the way I think about the space is I think there's going to be one chain which is going to win like 80% of the valuation. Um, I think like Bitcoin and Ethereum are really like the only two contenders there. Um, you know, and even then, like Bitcoin could do it, but they would have to, like, you know, make some relatively minor changes for, you know, snarks and starks and like allow rollups. And like, I don't think it would really be that complicated from, I mean, I, I'm not going to do it. So, of course, it doesn't sound complicated to me. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, Bitcoin could definitely do it, but they won't, right? I mean, like, I think we all know that they won't. And, you know, Blockstream, Bitcoin Core, whatever you want to call it, is, is you know, not going to, it's, it's not going to happen. I mean, uh, Schnorr Sigs took like 
four and a half years, <laughs> four years, I mean, whatever. Right. Um, so I, you know, so I think it's like basically likely to be Ethereum. Um, now I think there is like, um, not like a maximalist. Like I think other chains can accrue value. Um, I think there's some interesting, uh, and I mean, layer ones, uh, can accrue value. Um, because I think Pareto applies. So it's probably like some sort of 80, 20 rule. And, um, you know, we'll see, I think near has done some really good work. I think they've, uh, have a little bit of a different, uh, experience. I think cosmos, which I've never held any, uh, atoms on uh, is, you know, they have interesting tech. I think there's like a legit thing you could say about cosmos, which is like, why do they, you know, why does Adam accrue value? Um, but you know, you probably arguably could have said some of that about ETH over the years as well. And Bitcoiners certainly did. Uh, so yeah, I, you know, my thesis is basically like, I'm probably not going to invest in any layer ones and pretty, pretty, been pretty clear about that. Um, again, I, not to say that it, it could happen. I think there's some things that are out there that aren't live yet, like some zero knowledge stuff that maybe could, but I think like really the interesting thing is, is layer two, um, and, and rollups and even like some of these chains that are out there that are layer ones today, could solve some of their fundamental issues if they became layer twos. Um, you know, like state growth is an issue because, you know, uh, to be a layer one, you have to like have, you know, in any decentralized way, you have to make it possible for people to run nodes at, at home, right? Otherwise you're just a data center chain, which, which basically every proof of stake of chain is outside of Ethereum's proof of stake. Cause it's just mm -hmm. it's more decentralized. Um, but if, you know, if you only need one honest validator, then that kind of changes the game in terms of, you know, I can have a crazy state bloat issue, but I'm hooking it into the Ethereum trust layer. And thus, like, you know, I don't actually necessarily need to solve these, these crazy state bloat issues. Um, so that's kind of the way I think about it. Um, you know, I don't, I think it's going to be hard for some of these layer ones that are out there that have, you know, nearly a hundred billion dollar valuations that I think are completely unjustified uh, to sort of, you know, decide to become an Ethereum rollup. Um, I think like the, you know, the, the, the market narrative that they've, that they've pitched to people isn't exactly that, but we'll see. Um, I, you know, also as an investor, I personally have, uh, Starbloom wants to get into the roll-up space because we do think it's the future and we don't have any current roll-up exposure. So if you have some ideas on, you know, making an interesting novel roll-up, which there are definitely some out there, you know, like putting together flavors of optimistic and ZK roll-ups and, you know, some of these ideas even get posted in, in ETH research and they're just waiting for somebody to, to pick them up. Uh, so if that's you, uh, hit me up. <laughs> so I want to take them to them Twitters. Are you a ETH Maxi? Like, are you're not an ETH Maxi, but I feel like you do it like out of irony to make fun of BTC Maxis, which are on another level when it comes to where their brain is most of the Wait, time. Why, why do you people think you're an ETH Maxi? He goes hard in the paint on ETH. BTC, <laughs> BTC <laughs> Maxis come at him real hard. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I enjoy the back and forth of Twitter. I think other people take it more seriously than I do. Um, at least mostly there's maybe like a few people who I really dislike, but I generally just mute them. So I don't see them or interact with them. So, 
you know, maybe I subtweet them uh, when I accidentally see something, but otherwise, hey, not on, so much. Quick. I'm ignorant here. What's a subtweet? <laughs> a subtweet is when you tweet about somebody without mentioning their name, basically. Good to know. That makes way more sense. Though. Yeah, yeah. I, I had yeah. to pick that up myself, which I actually think it's like sort of a uh, a better way to tweet because, like, if you name the person, they take it a little more personally. And half the time, like, you know, I'd rather make it into a general point more than like something that people are going to take as a personal attack. Mm. Um, to superset a passive aggression. Is that what I'm hearing? Is that, is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's that I feel like uh maybe I feel like naming people is throwing elbows, but going hard at the paint is just making a general point out of it. I don't know. Uh why do people think I'm an ETH Maxi? Yeah, that's probably probably it. I think there's no such thing as an ETH Maxi personally. I mean, there's certainly people who like have entirely interest in Ethereum and you know is sort of uh you know, have thin skin about defending it. Um, mm-hmm. But even those people, I think, are like categorically different than Bitcoin maximalists who literally say like nothing else other than Ethereum should exist, you know, or than Bitcoin should I exist. See, I see maximalism as Ooh, a way. As, 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 slip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so as this way of like, or like, I classify it as maximalism when you're unable to acknowledge a deficiency in something you believe in right mm-hmm. you will you will justify or rationalize anything away as a positive for the thing that you are basically bag holding is for cryptocurrency you're bag holding uh and if you're unable to be critical on the thing that you're invested in or 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 like proselytizing then you're you're more like that you're you're more leaning more towards maximalism would you consider yourself able to find deficiencies in Ethereum? Yeah, I think one of the character one of the characterizations of Ethereum I was the right word. <laughs> I woke up to tweet about EIP fifteen fifty nine this morning. Uh, tweeted uh, um, burning a million ETH, uh, and then I couldn't get back to sleep because I think I'm getting old. Uh, so I don't know if I'm, I might be a little loopy. <laughs> um, uh, I think Ethereum is like always tried to characterize itself as a community that is honest about its problems. So, I mean, I think like you, I get criticism of this sometimes about talking about the lack of staking client diversity. And I really just like, I don't, I don't care. I mean, I'm not going to stop like talking about how it's a problem because it is a problem. And uh, it makes it hard to safely turn off proof of work if we don't have better client diversity in the proof of stake chain, not even to get into like some of the like governance issues, but literally just if there is some sort of problem and you have a chain that has, you know, 65 percent of stake, uh, you know, I don't It's probably not worth getting into the weeds. But, you know, once you get into the two thirds category, uh and you have a chain split and you get into the two thirds category and proof of stake is very difficult to recover from that. So, you know, that's a huge problem that Ethereum has. And, you know, I don't know I'm not going to stop talking about that. Uh, I do think that like being irrational about your bags is like a reasonable def. Well, I mean, you made it completely irrational about your bags is the definition. Um, but I don't, I mean, that wasn't the original definition. The original definition of like the maximalist is literally, they said like nothing else should exist. 
Yeah, right? but it's like mm-hmm. it's, it, that, that narrative is going to change over time, much like, like when we first got into this, right? We're called the Bitcoin podcast because we were around before Ethereum. And I was watching you, the show in those days. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, when, you, when you mentioned Bitcoin, it was it was one of two things. Capital B meant like the technology and the network and the concept. And little Bitcoin, little B Bitcoin, which was the actual asset. And so, and so oh, as Ethereum kind of bled into the scene and we talked about all of the like clone chains that existed back then, like Litecoin, Dogecoin, shit like that, uh, you referred to the ecosystem as Bitcoin and everyone still knew what you meant. That slowly changed over to blockchain over time. But, but, but now like when we refer to the ecosystem, we still have this, I don't know, rift between like web three and blockchain. And so people still say Bitcoin, Maxwell's usually. So like, like or if you're a consultant, you call it distributed ledger technology. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's, there's some nomenclature. It's just like that, that narrative changes and then maximalism <laughs> has to change with it because it's in reference to like a much broader picture. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I'm going to stick with the original definition because I like it more. <laughs> They're the loudest and most I mean, I definitely think that Ethereum has like, you know, uh, a lot of early Ethereum people who I think are called, you know, Ethereum maximalists were Bitcoiners. And so have a lot of the uh, beliefs of a lot of Bitcoiners. And so it's not necessarily surprising that a lot of early Ethereum people like, you know, say a lot of the same things that like Bitcoin maximalists do. In fact, like mm-hmm. people say that about me and like, I'm like, yeah, well, I kind of agree. I mean, like I have an old blog post where I said, you know, the thing I agree with Bitcoin maximalists about is that like 90% of the space is a scam, you know, like <laughs> I agree yeah. with that. I don't, I don't disagree with that. I mean, look at the stuff that's out there. Like so much of it is, uh, I mean, especially in bull markets is, you know, absurd. So that's all things like even every year there's, you know, 90% of the businesses that start fail, right? Like that's just, that's, that's with anything. I think scam is a tough word that maximalists use. Well, I just knew I wasn't a maximalist when I was asked to speak at one of their conferences and I went and I started hanging out with max BTC maximalists and it got weird fast. And I was like, I'm never hanging out. Sorry guys. I'll say a lot. I never hang out with you again. Did you commit the cardinal sin of not ordering steak? Uh, I did do that, right? And I felt the looks. So I was like, "You guys, you guys are interesting." And like, I did. I just remember one conversation in particular. I was hanging out, looking at the merchants, and then somebody like, "Hey, Bitcoin podcast guy." I'm like, "Yeah, it's me." And they're like, "Man, I just love Bitcoin." And they went into this like 15 minute story about how much they love Bitcoin, which some point in there, they said, I wish I could encode food and digest it. And I was like, okay, so no, like, I don't want to hang out with y'all. But like, it to me, it just seems foolish, like to just to be a maximalist in anything, because that's like, it just seems foolish. I don't know. It's, d- d- like, why would you want to pigeonhole yourself like that? Because so, you have a large bag. And you need it. You need you need the narrative to be true in order for that back to grow. Yeah. So on the hot seat, Mister. You want to talk about more Ethereum problems? The hot yeah, seat. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Ethereum problems, right? So, like, one. I feel like when I got, when I got hype about Ether and I was hyping it up, I even hyped it up to this guy. Wait, my things reversed. 
Corey, and he took it, took the ball, and now he's scoring touchdowns. But I got hype about it because it was like being marketed as a global computer, and like I was like, oh, that's pretty dope. And then I thought I liked that movie, The Time Machine, where Orlando Brown was like the global computer walking around talking to Orlando Bloom. Orlando Bloom? I didn't, I didn't no, Orlando Bloom is uh bow and arrow guy from Lord of the Rings. Correct. Orlando Brown <laughs> is a black man. So Nick I thought up, 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 up yours, right? That guy? <laughs> yeah. Or he just changed his skin color. Huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um and I was like, well, man, that would be really cool and beneficial to everyone. But now I like when I use Ethereum and I'm like, oh, cool. I just want to send this person five bucks because they like join my seminar. I want to show them it works. And then it's like minor fees, $15. I'm like, this isn't a this isn't a global computer at all. This is becoming what Bitcoin was in 2018, 2017. Just this big monster that's expensive to use. Only $15. What was it? Like 11 p.m. on Saturday night? I don't know. See, <laughs> me having to make those decisions. Like last weekend, I was like, oh, it's Sunday. I'm going to yeah, use yeah. the Ethereum blockchain. I, I have to wake up at 3 o'clock to send somebody some money. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's literally what I do. I only do transactions between the hours of like, <laughs> on mainnet, between the hours of 11, uh, 11 p.m. to like 2 a.m. Uh, Central Time, Friday and Saturday night. There's a product right there. Like set up your transaction <laughs> and then it'll automatically send them according to the gas fees that exists already. Okay. Well, shit. You don't yeah. have to send the transaction with a certain gas and we'll go. How <laughs> so I guess this is this is a question in there on the, in that diatribe. I just went on. Do you feel like Ethereum, L1 Ethereum still chan- stands a chance to be a global computer? How would it get there? Yeah, I mean, I think it's still a global computer, but the problem with being a global computer is that it's never going to be uh, fast. <laughs> I mean, it, like having a shared state means that you are always going to like you know, it's all. It should be expensive. Um, now, uh, you know, I, I I've meant to tweet. You know, like like Ethereum is the only thing that's solved decentralized scalability. Um, because I think it's true, uh, like rollups, like rollups are on Ethereum, right? Like um, in ways that I think even like like you know channels are not, um, because the data literally is on Ethereum for basically every transaction. So you know you're literally putting the data there, and then uh, you're able to um, you know depending on whether it's an optimistic rollup or a zero knowledge rollup but like then you do the execution off chain instead of well off layer one and you do it on the rollup uh you know i think that is extremely underrated still um by like everybody in this space um because you know you you can do like thousands of transactions per second so when you say like ethereum only does 15 transactions per second on average i think that's like that's incorrect uh, because Ethereum does do thousands of transactions per second now. Of course, you know, adoption of these is limited. These zero knowledge rollups in particular that do the thousands of transactions per second are not, I mean, they're just payment networks right now, like akin to Bitcoin. And frankly, they're not widely adopted. And even as someone that tries to use them, I struggle because like other people don't want to use them. They want to get their money on mainnet. 
the, you know, Binance or Coinbase or Kraken or, you know, Bitstamp or whoever uh, doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't do direct support and withdrawals. And that's that's frustrating because like the, the technology is there, uh, at least for the payment network side to do, you know, thousands of transactions. It's just not really been adopted. Uh, there's some issues there, of course. And like coming from like a, a, a working for a company that makes a wallet, giving people context of where their assets are and how to ma- and, and what what that means and how to transfer across them and how to access them appropriately to like give them to people in, in like a, a usable way, not easy. And that's not going to get any better because the amount of rollups is going to increase and they're all going to have some differentiation that needs to be handled. And so like it's a lack of tooling what you just described at, at, at the same at the same time like that's moving ethereum one into basically decentralized storage very specialized decentralized yeah. storage and then all the other stuff happens elsewhere is that you think that's you think that's the reasonable way to go that's the future like you do do your do your stuff elsewhere store it securely on Ethereum because Ethereum is the best to decentralized storage specialized towards transactions, blockchain transactions. I mean, I think that it is literally the only approach to scalability that is even marginally decentralized. And this is, you know, pretty darn decentralized. Um, you know, I talked about zero knowledge proofs. If you talk about optimistic rollups, uh, that's a little bit, different but it's, it's, um, it's more difficult because when you start you have process, like well, that and like, the usability is different but like state rent is a different thing to worry about if that gets implemented because state history is literally the state of the l2 can can i interrupt um for for, for myself for the layperson yeah, getting into down? the weeds here. Yeah, ZK and optimistic, like the difference between those types of rollups. Happy to. Yeah. Do you want to do it? You want me to do it? Sure, I'll do it. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's two types of rollups, right? And if you think about a rollup as like a general term that's easy to understand, it's an aggregator, right? Mm-hmm. It's a bunch of transactions that people want to do, aggregates them, batches them together, and then submits yeah. them somehow to Ethereum one. Right. Okay. And so the difference between optimistic and zero knowledge is how they batch them and how they submit them to L1. Okay. Uh, so a zero knowledge, we'll start with optimistic because it's the easier way to understand it. Uh, they literally gather all the transactions, they put them together, and they store the transactions on, uh, like they, they an aggregator. You, you trust this basically, I don't know what they call it, accumulator or aggregator or processor, whatever. This thing, entity on the, on the layer two, takes them, batches them, it stores them as uh, all data on the layer one blockchain, Ethereum, right? And then so you have to trust the validator's infrastructure on a layer two. Correct. Now, which could be centralized. For there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a key point to this, and this comes okay. from the idea of Plasma and why it has any reasonable way of working based on that trust is that anyone can look at that call data and say, that's not right. I'm going to exit and leave directly to L1. So anyone who looks at these things can see what the validator is doing, what they put on, and challenge it and leave. Now, there's mm-hmm. a time period in which they can do that. And it's what is like 30 days for optimism. 
Yeah, weeks. optimistic roll-ups have. Uh, I mean, that's a optimism. I think is two weeks. I think arbitrage so might be. Two that's weeks, kind of so. that lag, right? So they they did that because it's very easy for the validator to like batch Sneak these things in. up, put them in the right order, and put them down, and for everyone to view it and make sure they're doing the right job. And there's incentives that are involved with watching these things and going and getting out and so on and so forth. But like that's that's the idea. Batch them up, put them on. And then people just check to make sure that's that's okay. This the zero knowledge rollup is done by when they aggregate these things, they basically create a zero knowledge proof. They make this giant proof and they submit that to the chain. And so if it if it is a valid proof, you don't need to submit anything other than the proof. If all, all of the state transitions associated with what happened off-chain are valid. You can just trust that because that's the way the cryptography works. You don't need to store a bunch of stuff on the chain because you can trust the cryptography works appropriately. But the, off, the, the problem with that is that it's not as easy to generalize all the things, all the things that you can do on that chain. And there's, it's a lot of computational effort to, to create those proofs. So then that leads to my next question. This sounds like there's a delay in like settlement or like, I guess, finality on main chain when you're using rollups, right? Yeah, so you have slightly different trust assumptions, right? Mm. Yeah, so you, you're if it's an optimistic rollup, you know, you can. It's sort of debatable as to you know when is it really final. Um, however, there's also you know there's things that exist like like a hot protocol or seller uh, where uh, instead of having to wait two weeks to to withdraw back to the main chain, you can basically just offload that risk to them. Um, by you know by using their technology, um, so you know the third party service that says give me your give me your layer two money I'll give you layer one money like that as opposed mm. to wait this is the official way of doing it and waiting that amount. Gotcha. Hold up, it's like a payday loan. <laughs> my my army of GPs yeah, that I'm trying to represent. It's a payday loan that can pay you money, though, like because if theoretically, like you're rebalancing from a chain that has blah 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 more or less, like you could actually make money on on going back to the main chain. Uh, I mean, tragic. Yeah. Um, in fact, it happens sometimes. Like uh, Mo Dong from Seller, uh, who is a sponsor of Week Ethereum, full disclosure, uh, he had a tweet about like you know. Um, yeah like look he's like you should always check these things because like sometimes our bridge will literally save you hundreds of dollars um you know because it's 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 basically arbitrage i mean you don't have to think about it exactly that way but Mm -hmm. so i've got to push back as the self-proclaimed leader of the gpp and that is um it feels like we're not doing anything different than when I do a transaction in my bank. It says three to five days until it gets to, to my bank. Like, wait, like that's an ass backwards step. Like that, that's like complete backwards. If it takes me two weeks and then. No, but I you're getting wanna... decentralization though. Do you have an, do you, do you, do you, do you have an option? I in love your bank to do my money. Else? Huh? You have an option in your bank to do something else. No, I don't, but mm, I'm just saying. That's the, like... that's the difference. That's the difference. <laughs> you have options. Don't so like right. that? Do something else. There's consequences, though. You want to use the main like, chain? It's going to be expensive. Pay exorbitant fees to use the main chain, or switch it on over to L2. Use a little, drop a little ZK on it, or maybe be optimistic. <laughs> I like optimism, and then wait for my transactions 
No, the goal is to not for, for specific types of activity to never leave the layer two. Mm. Right. It's like the business lives on the layer two. It's not supposed to ever go to layer one for certain types of things. So you get much more contextualization of the types of things that you're doing in the appropriate way to do them as opposed to here's your option. Only do this. I just have to tell you guys, as you know, GPPs are going to take well to this. They're not going to have to know. They're going to download their application. It's going to work the way it wants and it's going to be fine. When it doesn't work the way they want, then they're going to have to spend some time figuring it out. But for 99.9% of the time in the future, when this stuff actually works, it just works the way they want. Yeah. D, it's like the chicken thing, right? Like you didn't know, I didn't know until I looked in and then now I know. And it's like, they're going to obfuscate all of that stuff, all the technical stuff, all the actual interactions with blockchains. All you're going to get is like an app like Instagram, right? And it's going to use the blockchain in ways that are probably a combination of decentralized and centralized and using any means necessary because the developers just want to make a product that makes money that they can get VC money for. And that's what you're going to get as an end user, right? Everybody in here is like, we're nerds. We're I, talking I, about, I, we're talking about the shit no one cares about. Yeah. And that's what that's we're thinking about, like how to build this stuff so that they don't have to care about it, but still gives them these properties that we care about without them having to care. And that's, that's where, that's where, you know, where, in my opinion, like we do the podcast because we want to kind of illuminate people into what decentralization actually means. And maybe like certain thresholds of decentralization that might be acceptable for most people and kind of to shine the light on like these quote unquote solutions that may actually not be real solutions because they sacrifice some of the ideals of what created this space in the beginning. I feel like we're, we have, we're constantly assessing the expansion and contraction of decentralization. Yeah. Right. Like that's it because there can't be this, like we talk about it for years now, Corey and Jess, like this whole, that's very true. Very true. And you can find that on our YouTube channel. In fact, you should hold up. Ah, like and subscribe. Oh my God. Like and subscribe to that sucker. We don't ever ask you to do shit. And I know there's a lot of you guys that aren't liking and subscribing because I look at the data. Jesus. I look at it. So stop being a schlub. Let's know? get back to I want to hear hold what up, Evan. This is a commercial. Oh my God. This is a commercial. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. Don't interrupt a commercial. Anyways, go like and subscribe. Uh, if anything, just for Jesse's hair, because it's so powerful. All right. How do you feel about that conversation, Evan? <laughs> oh, let me unmute you. Yeah, I would say that um, after announcing Starbloom, I've gotten a lot of pitches, and they're almost all... Sorry. For yeah, uh, for side chains, and I clearly wasn't uh, clear enough <laughs> on the fact that <laughs> I'm probably like there's a high bar. Like I wouldn't say that I would never invest in a, in a side chain. Like rejected. Uh, yeah, and, and, and by the way, I think some side chain bridges are are better than others. Like the the 
you know, that's a whole nother long story, right? But like some bridges are better than others. Like the one inch guy designed a, a bridge for near that's pretty cool. Um, it's not, I mean, it's still a side chain They're Like they say it's trustless. It, it's not exactly trustless, especially when like the chains, different chains undergo forks and whatnot. Uh, the, you know, there's some, some things there that make it, you know, not exactly trustless because the, uh, the, the bridge has to change. Um, but you know, some bridges are literally just, you know, multi-sigs. Some are literally just, you know, EOAs, so a, a normal Ethereum account owned by one person, which is, you know, crazy. Uh, give me some money. Um, I'll give you some on the other side. Yeah. I mean, there is a large chain that has like billions of dollars, uh, on an, on an EOA on a one key. Call out. Call about, <laughs> but with 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 SGX. Okay, that's no. So like, I mean, so you now know probably might know who I'm talking about. I, I you know I personally don't believe in SGX at all. Like to me, that is like crazy. There are, to be fair, mostly theoretical attacks that are published like every week on on SGX. But you know, I mean, it is a very trusted computation vector, uh, and it's to me, it's a little bit crazy to hang the essentially the entire fate of their chain on SGX when, you know, like there are like attacks that are published on SGX like every week, you know, I mean, um, so I'm, you know, I'm not a big, big fan of that. Um, yeah. I mean, I want, I want to see people building stuff on rollups. Um, you know, it's not exactly there yet. And there's a little bit different. Uh, it's not that different. It's a little frustrating to me that, you know, uh, there aren't more developers, there aren't more, uh, Ethereum apps just, you know, Change, deploying to L2 right now. Um, it frustrates me that some of my favorite like Ethereum apps still haven't deployed to L2. And, you know, I don't know how to, yeah, I mean, uh, you're a little bit different though. Uh, goes, yeah, I don't know about that one. <laughs> uh, I mean, well, it's a little bit of a different, di- different situation. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't need, I don't need, you know, like, I don't need full mainnet security um, for, you know, like uh, any transaction fees to, to send money. That we used but to I, make in Bitcoin, right? Or it's like, you don't need a global, like the, 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 the security of, of, of Bitcoin or coffee. Let's use lightning. I heard this before. This is not a new argument, right? See, this is why I get sorry, It's a reasonable ahead. thing. This yeah, is- I think th- I think that's true. Using sidechains as payment networks is also pretty reasonable. Of course, you can actually use like a ZK rollup and have the exact same, you know, uh security as Ethereum um in the short and long term. And the fees are extraordinarily low, but you do the adoption there. How much of this is us just being impatient? No, I don't well, think it's about impatience, Corey. I think it's about a demand. Is it that stupid thing I used to say? Like, you know, we didn't need a microwave cabinet until everybody started using microwaves, right? It's a demand thing, right? You don't need stoplights until like eight people crash in a week, and then you're like, okay, we need a stoplight right there, right? It's 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 like a demand thing, and people aren't going to use ZK rollups until. And not they're not going to use opt- they're not going to use these things until something has provided a real demand for it that that just is it's like a step change. What are you so gas gas is, is the demand is the yeah, <laughs> impetus. They should be. They should be. But as as you know, speaker of the GPPs, they're not. I've witnessed GPPs that are like, all right, let me do this uh, swap real quick. Ooh, minor fees, three hundred dollars, no problem. That's not a biggie. And I'm like, that is a biggie. Stop pressing the button, like. 
That's yeah. a biggie. Just, you know, like, wait till oh. it goes goes even higher, and then yeah. you know so maybe like, that gas fees, but we just haven't hit the hit the threshold yet. Yeah. So. So one thing to say about ZK rollups is that they are payment networks right now. It's a little bit weird and it's a little frustrating to me that none of them have tried to get adoptions as payment networks. They're essentially just proof of concepts for them trying to deploy full EVM rollup, ZK rollups. So because of that, like they are, you can use them but they're not really doing like maybe the full BD to get people to use them as payment networks. And I think that's really sort of like held them back and maybe not, you know, both exchange listings, um, but also just, you know, like, like nobody's gone out and been like PayPal where they give you $5 to go get an account on their ZK rollup. Right. And that's what, what it takes uh, to, to become a payment network. You need the adoption and you need the, people to, to care about trying to market it and really be paying attention to it. But maybe uh, that's because like, you know, Visa, MasterCard and Square and whatever, right there. I don't know if you've talked to any people from any of those like companies, but I wonder if they're just working on stuff in house and they're going to deploy it themselves. Uh, well, given what we saw from Visa, where they deployed uh, a sort of layer two architecture that, I mean, I, I, I would describe it as, 2017 layer two technology. Um, you know, it was basically talking about channels and whatnot. And I think, you know, one thing that we've discovered in Ethereum and Bitcoin too, frankly, is that channels are really, really, really hard. And, and they're you know, very application specific. Yeah. It's, I mean, and, and I still think that like even Lightning, which is, you know, there are some channels on Ethereum, but Lightning is certainly the most battle tested. I think there's still a lot of like vulnerabilities um, and DOS vectors that are out there. Um, anyway, yeah, I mean, rollups are rollups are better. <laughs> I have, uh, I guess, one last question, and then I gotta uh, bounce. Unfortunately, a little bit early, and that is, how do you feel about like I, I said this before, like the culture of ethereum seems to lag the culture of bitcoin by about four years right everything that the the and i'm talking about crypto twitter i guess i'll make it more specific like everything crypto twitter uh ethereum uh enthusiasts are excited about is like kind of like the same kind of stuff that bitcoin enthusiasts were excited about like four years prior and the conversation is the same just like jesse pointed out i was like heard that before it's called lightning and then I hear, I've heard people be enthusiastic about side chains before. I've heard people be enthusiastic about um, different ways to maintain a state, or I guess in Bitcoin's, um, uh, sorry, for Bitcoin is UTXOs. But like, uh, um, how do you feel like, do you feel like Ethereum ever branches away from that rhythm? Because right now it feels an awful lot like that to me. Yeah, that's uh, an interesting observation. I don't know if I entirely agree with it, but like I think, as I said before, uh, a lot of Ethereum people uh, did come out of Bitcoin and the frustrations of sort of feeling like um, Bitcoin got governance got captured and went a little stagnant. Um, so I think a lot of people... Um, I, I mean, I think it's not too surprising that some of the things that we say are are similar. Uh, I, I do feel like 
uh, how should I put this? Um, Brutally. No, it's more that I lost my train of thought, not that I <laughs> and I tried to recover it. It's <laughs> in the lack of sleep. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. We like we we're, we're some of the, some of the stuff is the same. I think a lot of people, in some ways, some Ethereum people think that we're you know build, just building a better Bitcoin, and uh, you know, market hasn't reflected that yet. But like a lot of Ethereum people think it's like you know, I mean, like me, it's it's the market is inevitable, and that's just a matter of time. Um, because like, you know, ETH is now substantially better than, than, than Bitcoin on, on all the things that we care about. Um, but it also like, it continues to be a, a living community that, you know, embraces change and, uh, tries to innovate and, um, you know, while preserving decentralization. Uh, and again, I'll say like, you know, I think that that's really the difference between Ethereum and like every other, you know, chain out there. Is that like the like the decentralization is not up for debate, and it, it has to be. Um, so, uh, one one little example of that is uh, Tendermint, right? Which was Jay Kwan's uh, proof of stake, you know, um, and he had it. He published it in 2014 as a scaling solution for Ethereum, but you 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 can't have more than I'm pretty sure this is still true. It certainly was at the time. You can't have more than like a hundred and some validators on. That's a that's a traditional BFT, uh, basically threshold. The way those algorithms work for proof of stake and Ethereum two barely gets around this by the way they do it. Uh, BLS SIG aggregation. Yeah. So yeah. Is we just do kind of randomizing pools of who that hundred who those hundred people are. Uh, and that's just the that's just the way that traditional PBFT algorithms work. It, otherwise, like message complexity gets too high after that number. You get degradation of security as you go past that number. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I think it goes back to how you view the space, right? And I think a lot of maybe this is like a better way to say what I just spent a few minutes rambling about is that a lot of Bitcoiners view Bitcoin as the fundamental money of the world. A lot of Ethereum people view ETH as the fundamental money of the world. You can't really have the fundamental money of the world if you have a hundred validators, right? So, you know, it's, it's unclear exactly how many validators are, um, are on Ethereum because some people control, some nodes control multiple validators. But I mean, we're, you know, it's something like, you know, tens of thousands and, uh, and you can run a node, um, you know, on your own and, um, you should still be able to given some of the state pruning that, you know, uh, will happen. Running a node, running an F2 node now is not that large in terms of resource requirements. That being said, nothing's happening on E2 yet other than, other than consensus. So when we start porting things over, I'm curious to see how that changes. Yeah, well, I mean, if you if you embrace weak subjectivity, which is probably outside of the bounds of this call, you know, like Teku, which does that, you know, they just they just flat out sync in like thirty seconds, right? Um, because they don't bother keeping all the old stuff around because it's just assumed to have yep. been finalized. And and I, you know, I think that's a reasonable assumption. Well, you know, it's good to test that in the wild. <laughs> we are. <laughs> Man, Jesse, I want to continue the conversation. No, like I, I, I kind of want this to be like a three hour session where I can like ask you, cause you, you made it clear earlier into the conversation that 
you you have no eyes for any other L1s other than Ethereum, right? But based on your criteria of why you think Ethereum is the end-all be-all, the criteria being um, acad- academia, decentralization, certain factors, right? Um, you, you really don't think there are other L1 alternatives? I think that one thing will get 80% of the value accrual in this space. I think it's why do you feel you have the Pareto distribution? Yeah, why? Wave my hands. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. It feels <laughs> right to me. <laughs> because, because, like, because if if this is like the everything's right, a power law. search engine, yeah, 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 sure. So, like, if you look at if you if you say if you're saying that right, um, avalanche thoughts. My thoughts on avalanche. Yeah. Um. I feel like every time I look at Avalanche, it's a lot of hand waving, and it really, really puts me off. Um, I could, you know, a long time convincing you of a reasonable level of legitimacy there. I know, I know that y'all like it. Yeah, you're the only people I know that are at all technical that think that there's anything there more than hand waving. Um, so you're not listening to Adler. That's not worth your time. <laughs> Uh, I've found John to be a very good source of skepticism with regards to roll-ups, which sometimes I was angry about, but then he was right. Um, uh, I mean, like the whole like new consensus, I think is, I mean, hand-waving, like why? I mean, like that's not the bottleneck and in systems you try to like fix bottlenecks, Mm -hmm. um, not like you know come up with some new thing which isn't really the limiting factor anyway on anything will be in my opinion that will be the limiting factor and decentralization so far away from that especially because oh it depends right uh with something like that the underlying data structure if it's tied to consensus then the bottleneck is the data structure if it's not you can just build more of them in parallel with each other depending upon um what like you can build networks, you can, you can transfer Bitcoin over to Avalanche right now without affecting the consensus of the C chain whatsoever. It'll run just fine. That's the, so you, you can do these things in parallel based on the scalability of the consensus, not the scalability of the state. And that's like that it's 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 contextualized in a certain way, which I think is really important and overlooked in, in things. Right now, the bottleneck is the state growth, clearly. Okay, and, and then let me let me certainly true. Let yeah, me, let me inject another one. <clears throat> Algorand uh-huh. thoughts. <laughs> um, uh, when I looked at Algorand, it really just looked like they had traded. This was years ago. It sort of really looked like they had traded off centralization for for a throughput, and it didn't particularly impress me. So now, what if you what if you know that they're reversing that? The validator set is there is becoming decentralized and it's separate from consensus. Yeah. I'd have to look at it. I, you know, I haven't paid any attention at all. Um, I was also that's one of the issues though, by right? some of the hand waving. That's, that's, that's an issue that I think is, isn't going to get any better. Like what yeah. you just said, like I haven't looked at it and your bandwidth to look at everything and understand it is minimal. It's is, is limited, right? You're yeah. a single VC limited. firm with, with a very, with a, with a with a reasonable like reasonably tight goal of like what what your investment thesis is. 
And that's, that's the route you go. You, you can't like, no one can be expected to understand everything in this ecosystem because it's gotten too big for anyone to do that. Like, I think that the growth of this ecosystem, like web three digital consensus, like the underlying data structures in which we add stuff to. So like how you make a blockchain uh, has gotten to be so big, like even zero knowledge technology and stuff like that, roll-up technology. You can't understand it all. And so like having an informed opinion on everything is unreasonable, which is why I feel Max. Joe, Joe, Joe tries to do that. And the, and the way he does it is by buying everything equally. Yeah. But like, so what? That's just, that's just a price thing. It has nothing to do with like, no, no, no. But that motivates Joe. Like if you ask Joe about any given chain that he has bags of, he does a pretty good job of okay. like knowing stuff. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. To force yeah. yourself to learn about it. I think that might be the, like, that might be the thing, you know? And if you don't like it, dump it, you know? Maybe. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, because we've, we've made uh, our opinions directly tied to potential personal profit. Yeah. We're going to have a bag holder mentality in some way, shape or form about everything. But in your, your, in my opinion, the goal is to minimize that as much as possible. I think like, I think absolutely people are biased by their financial holdings. Um, yeah, you, it's hard not to be right. Like if it means I'm going to not, not have to work, I don't need to work for the rest of my life. I'm probably going to root for it a little bit, right? Like, but but I think I think the idea is that like you know even the people who innovated early on Ethereum, like we hear the discussions in Slack, they left, and now you know you're you're like on the uh, whatever Colin Colin saying like you're on the fifth or fourth fifth generation. Yeah, right? the amateurs so, left. Now we have the pros. Really? <laughs> I mean, there's there's an argument to be made for the opposite, right? This technology has reached a threshold of legitimacy where actual experts are entering the field. Mm, okay. Like so outside think, of like Gavin, I mean, who? I'm, I don't know. I don't. I, some I know some of these people. I don't really want to be too critical. <laughs> but that's a that's like the counter argument is no one was like there weren't professionals building this stuff because it wasn't legitimate back then. It is now, and they're entering the field. Like I, we have. So many PhDs in a varied amount of very technical fields at status mm-hmm. that never would have joined this ecosystem if there weren't financial four rewards. Ago. Or no, yeah. four years ago, just because they're like, who cares about Dogecoin? Yeah. And now they're like, oh, like zero knowledge technology as a, like as a, as a apl- applied cryptography to distributed networks. That's a yeah. really interesting problem. I'm, I would like to think about. And it pays me way better than academia. Sign me up. See, here, here's here's an interesting investment thesis that you might want to consider, Evan. I don't know if you're subject to like uh, any change, but like two things. No, 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 no. Forget about that. No. So, so like, so like financial, right? Financial bias, but then also cultural bias. So like, for instance, I dabbled in Solana for the past few weeks, right? And yes, their underlying validator said infrastructure is super centralized. Like I hate everything about it. But there's a lot of NFT related tooling that is being developed that some of it is pretty poorly optimized. But what I'm getting at is like, there are interesting tools being built on chains you might not like that may be good and you might want to use them from a practical sense. And like when people are going to be building that final product, right? I don't. I can't imagine it being only on one chain, right? It's going to be multi-chain. And and that means it's multi-L1 and potentially multi-L2. 
depending on what the product is and whatever. Right. So like, I think that, you know, throwing a little bit of money at something to get you like going, like, you know, like if you're going to the gym, you buy a gym membership, you maybe buy some gym wear, you know, something like that. And then that kind of, kind of get you like incentivized to kind of look a little bit deeper than, you know, you normally would have. And then if you don't like it, dump it, but at least you kind of are more familiar with like the, the landscape, the tooling landscape. And, you know, I guess whether or not it fits your ideals. So uh, I would say that basically every chain that we've mentioned here so far, I remember when they were raising seed deals. Uh, yeah. Again, like I had my, does this chain have any reason to exist? Mm-hmm. If I didn't invest in it, which I've faithfully disclosed the ones that I have invested in, I really just didn't think it had a reason to exist. Um, I, I wanted to go back to something earlier though, which is like you talked about um, uh, other like other chains. Like I think one thing that has to happen is like it's not just like to beat Ethereum, you have to have a better community, better community, and a better technology. Mm-hmm. And like I would argue that like basically neither chain is even close to having either. So um, I you know to me it's like not a close call as an investor. I don't. Mm-hmm. Like I'm getting pitched things um, on other chains right now. And um, how should I put this? I would say that like there is an adverse selection problem because most of the best entrepreneurs are trying to build on Ethereum. Um, And, Mm. uh, you know, if you have to go to another chain right now, it's usually because they gave you money or grant funding or ecosystem fund. And it's usually Mm. because you needed it because frankly, you know, at least the market didn't think you were, you were top tier. Um, you know, like that's that's not a terrible thing in any way either, because like, you know, I live in Texas. I don't live in the Silicon Silicon Valley. Uh, Ticket Leap was in Philadelphia. Like sometimes, you know, and we, Ticket Leap had an eight figure exit. Uh, not all of that went to me, by the way, unfortunately, uh, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. Um, uh, but you know, uh, like, I, I don't think that like necessarily like everything comes out of like what is considered top tier because the world is, has a lot of randomness and, um, you know, things happen. Um, yeah, we'll see. I think everything in this space in some way you could argue is a, is a, is a race for the killer app and we'll see, uh, we'll see, you know, that could happen on some other chain. It's, it's at least theoretically possible. Uh, I personally don't really see it. Um, and um i think it's like um i'm trying how should i say this nicely i think even some of the chains that are like have high market caps like they haven't necessarily attracted the app devs that are doing anything more than like copying things and deploying them uh copy copy pasting not necessarily the code but at least the concept Um, yeah yeah. which is fine i mean like that's not terribly terribly (laughs) terribly bad either um yeah well uh you know, like it, because if you are a chain, you you do need to have Uniswap like Dex. You know, you you do yeah. want to have some sort of central limit order exchange. You do right. want to have you know uh, the basic things of DeFi that Ethereum innovated. And you know that it's not to say you couldn't necessarily you know get a, a decentralized app. I'm a little personally like uh, you know like uh, you always should be paranoid about anything. You know, I'm a little paranoid that like something does take off on a on a on a centralized chain, and uh, you know that Solana is pretty centralized and it's taking off. Um, I'm relatively skeptical of that. I think that it 
reminds me in every way of EOS. Like it is EOS V2. Now you can see it's like a much, much better engineered version. Um, I'm not entirely clear on how much of their transactions per second is actually real. Like there's some like hand waving in there. The the TPS reports are stupid and theirs are really stupid. I mean, a lot of it is over. Theirs are really stupid. (laughs) A lot of it is transact is like throughput or is a voting overhead, just like in Tezos. I think something like 80% at one point, maybe Mm -hmm. still is of Tezos throughput was literally just people voting on, on Mm -hmm. it. Right. So like, uh, I currently see that landscape is, and this is like this. I try to say this as much as I can, but people throw shade at Ethereum and, and its current fee, fee market is we filled up the Ethereum bucket. We have, we are working, the community is working tires, tirelessly at expanding the capacity of that bucket through rollups. Um, and in the meantime, all of these chains are just picking up the overflow. Mm-hmm. And since the growth of the entire community, the ecosystem and, and, and the amount of money coming in is also expanding, that overflow is getting pretty big, which makes these, these chains look like they're growing really well. It remains to be seen if they stay that way yeah. when the capacity of Ethereum gets big enough. Right. That's that's the, like that's what we're all betting on, or like we're making bets on and gambling and trying to prognosticate is when these rollups work and the conceptual size of the ethereum bucket is much 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 larger are these other chains going to stay alive or are people going to just go right back like and, and and these other chains are actively working their hardest to get vendor lock-in in, in some way shape or form so that it's harder for them to leave back to ethereum in the event that ethereum can support them again and that's 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 what we're going to see play out over the next five years golden handcuffs blockchain style like <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, again, like one reason, like I wouldn't call myself a maximalist is because I keep to date on stuff in Argentina and, you know, I'm not even talking about this year, like DeFi summer 2020, you know, I was in a chat group. I probably don't want to say too much about this just in case, but, um, uh, but basically it was for people, uh, to do, you know, sort of like, small on the ground in Argentina, die trading. Um, you know, like I want a hundred bucks worth of, of die. Um, because in Argentina they have a very religious faith in the U S dollar, like more than Americans have, um, more than, you know, I don't know your most jingoistic American has, uh, Argentines really believe in the dollar. Um, so, uh, you know, they wanted yeah. Anyway, I mean, it very just quickly became like the point where like they couldn't use DAI. And unfortunately, this group that was frankly mostly set up, I think, for DAI, they were using USDT on Tron. Oh, <laughs> but you I know, know what? Like Tron. that fits your, that fits your <laughs> use case, right? And it if made that those fits people's lives a lot better. <laughs> yeah. Should you be leaving your money on Tron long term? You know, probably not. Do I think that? value is likely to accrue in Tron the asset. Well, I mean, like most Ethereum people, like I think decentralization wins in terms of assets. Like I think that's where, you know, the money's going to go. So, you know, I don't think that Tron or these centralized chains make any sense, um, you know, at at crazy valuations. Should you use them as a user if it makes sense for you? Absolutely. Should you use them as a developer if it makes sense for you? 
maybe I think you should probably deploy on a rollup, to be honest with you. But, uh, you know, if you don't need any sort of security, then, then maybe. I don't know. Um, that's the way I think about it. And, uh, you know, like... Uh, you know, like Argentines that are doing like liquidity mining. I mean, they're very clear that, uh, you know, liquidity knows no chain loyalty and you can't really blame them because even if you have a lot of like dollars for Argentina, why would you be on Ethereum paying $300 in gas, you know, even for like Friday night at 11 PM or whatever it, it's just, it's not an economical thing. And the rollups, you know, weren't quite there. So, you know, they were going to go on BSC and a lot of them made a lot of money on it if they did it well. So, you know, you can't really hate on that too much. <laughs> I wonder if Ethereum is going to be like a walled garden. Like, cause like originally like Bitcoin was like the ideal, one of the ideals was like bank the unbanked. And, you know, I feel like all, all of the bullshit, like in terms of like where the rubber hits the road, meets the road, whatever, is kind of like has been shed over the years. And I wonder if Ethereum is going to go through that kind of growth phase where only rich people and developed countries can really use Ethereum and people who were early into Ethereum because everybody else is going to get screwed. I think that, you know, if we can get exchanges to support ZK rollups, you have the exact same. I mean, exact might be a little bit of, uh, you could maybe <laughs> criticize that, but I think you have the same Ethereum security and you have very low, you know, fees, you know, down, uh, in the like a dollar these days and they're going to get lower because rollups do you know sort of poor compression these days uh and that's only going to get better plus a lot of times the more transactions you do in one batch the cheaper it is per transaction right so the more use you have on these rollups the actually the cheaper it is for your transaction Uh, I think it's even true for the optimistic rollups as well. It's not as good because the size of a proof uh, scales differently than size of a ZK proof scales differently with transactions than the amount of transactions you have to put in call data for an optimistic rollup. So like the space you're buying on the layer one is scales differently depending upon the technology. So I think ZK rollups will scale with the user base much better, but the efficiency of how fast you can calculate that proof has to get better. That's definitely true. I still think that like Arbitrum, for example, the cost per transaction is going to come down by at least a magnitude or not a magnitude, an order of two, yeah, how, maybe that's three. That's like getting more efficient with how they aggregate that, that, like how they batch these, these things and compress them into smaller pieces. Yeah. Maybe three, maybe four. And, and actually there's uh, the core dev call might be, I think it's tomorrow. Uh, they're, you know, they're talking about changing the price of call data on, on mainnet to be a much more reasonable uh, approximation of what call data should be priced at. So it'll get like 5x cheaper. Yeah, I can uh, see them like starting to move Ethereum 1 storage to be more specifically aligned with how rollups work as opposed to just this generalized call data thing that we used to use for sending weird messages or doing contract stuff, right? So like it started out as this like, hey, here's an extra thing you can do stuff with for smart contracts. And now it's being much more use from like there's this massive growth of a particularly type of use which then could reason about okay now we have a different way of pricing out this type of use so that it's not as expensive or like your guarantees around it being there and being queried is better 
like there's a lot of weird problems along how this stuff grows, but like there's no argument that Ethereum hasn't changed over the years and isn't willing to alter itself to then grow that bucket the way it needs to. Whereas Bitcoin, it's like how long did it take to get the taproot and what's it do? We have smart contracts on Bitcoin, Corey. Oh, they don't. <laughs> it's you. You have you have a you have a more efficient lightning network and some cooler multisigs, and that's. I mean, no, you're wrong. That's great, and I'm awesome. It's and it's better privacy. But let's not throw our hats in the air and say the problem solved. And respect to Bitcoin, their multisigs are better than Ethereum. Still, I mean, Four. like Four. I, I don't even think that's an issue. Like, it's quite obvious. Now, I don't want to disrespect some of the people that are doing. You know, Ethereum multi-six either. Like Gnosis Safe is really cool. It's a great product. Um, but you know, if you do all the signature signatures on chain, it's it's pretty expensive. And um, if you don't, then you're you know leaving the messages on their server. Uh, and frankly, like you know, the it's it's been hardened. But there's a lot of delegate calls in that code, which makes me a little nervous. And I'm a risk averse user. Well, that's probably a good way to wrap it up. Uh, Evan, is there anything we should have asked you? You would have liked to have said that we didn't? No, no, this was fun. I mean, you know, I'm here talking about rollups. I think in general, that's like the way Ethereum's going. And that's where uh, Starbloom wants to invest in. And, uh, you know, I want people to deploy apps on rollups and architect for rollups. And I also think... There was a, a point in there where I, I almost interjected because you were explaining rollups. I wanted to say like these these are all parameters that you could experiment on. Like the design space is actually very large for you know having your own rollup uh, and you know your own whatever. I mean creating creating new optimistic rollups, zero knowledge rollups. You know weird combinations of the two. Uh, in case you can't tell as an investor, I'm interested in that and would like to invest in it. Um, and you know there aren't there aren't possibilities right now. So I hope someone out there is listening and uh, wants to do it. So go check those ETH research forum posts. And I hope this wasn't too shilly. (laughs) You're you're getting interviewed. Chill. Two quick questions that we have. We ask everybody. Yeah. I'll start 10 words or less. Can you describe blockchain? Uh, Blockchain? I thought it was, it used to be Bitcoin. We we, Uh, we changed it up now. <laughs> distributed, on who we're distributed ledger technology is no. <laughs> uh, blockchain is about decentralized blockchain is decentralization so users can be self-sovereign <laughs> yeah all right well that, that's good enough uh, I used to have a better answer for that. Um, when I was on this, when I was on this, uh, this podcast in 2017, uh, I was ready for it. I had a good answer ready. Ask me. <laughs> I didn't add, we didn't ask you the first time. No, it was just you. We're I not the you. most consistent podcast yeah, yeah. in the world. <laughs> Run it back. What do you remember? What your answer would, would have been? Not a clue. No. Not a clue. Probably it's probably in the book. To be honest. Oh, oh we didn't ask him, so it's not in the book. Yeah, I know. All right, I've, I've got the uh, the other question. Okay, so it is, um, is what you do actually difficult? And that can be interpreted however you want it to be. Well, I don't I mean, I don't really know if I'm a venture investor yet, really, because we, we don't have any announced investments. Uh, <laughs> so whatever, whatever, yeah, I guess, like you, you were doing the Ethereum newsletter stuff, right? Yeah, that's, that's, that's shockingly difficult. 
uh, I think, you know, I get a lot of questions at conferences that are really demotivating, like, uh, or I've had over the years, like, what else are you doing aside from the newsletter? I was like, really? Like I spend an insane amount of time on this email that you shows up in your inbox on, you know, after a sleep deprived night by me and you spend five minutes on it. Um, I don't know, hopefully it's useful, but, uh, I guess it's like in some ways a compliment that you think that it didn't take me very long, but it did. It's just like going through stuff, trying to, you know, make sure that I have a chance to see things. There are things that I found over the years that frankly, I think would have disappeared. And maybe these people would have disappeared because like they put this, like there's a guy does like zero knowledge proofs in a, you know, non America, non, you know, hotspot of tech hotspot of Europe. Yeah. Uh, who I like found, you know, like four years ago, like uh, with, on Reddit, like his thing had one upvote, like literally no one had upvoted it. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I like to think that that matters and uh, it does take a lot of time for sure. Yeah. Um, but now I, uh, Andrew Kodup is the editor of Weekend Ethereum News. So uh, he's now suffering that lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> did you do that out of curiosity? Did you do that in parallel with like another, another gig? You did? You did? Uh, yes and no. Um, like I was sort of on Consensus Ventures um, for a while. Um, so you were doing uh, it before that, though. You didn't start there. Yeah, and I did it at Take a Leap. You know, I don't know. Some of those early early issues are a little cringy. So I don't. I like. <laughs> I don't know. About, I don't know about about it. It. Yeah. No, like that's the thing. Like people came on and talked about. Um, there, there was a guy who was talking about uh, Bitcoin. Uh, or using using crypto as a way to pay people uh, at their normal jobs, right? What what what, what was it, Corey? You remember? Bitwage. Bitwage, yeah. And how he they basically like nearly ran out of money, and they were on the third incubator, and that was like their last and final hope. And so like he really got in the weeds with it, and it was like interesting for me to hear at least. So I mean, like, don't feel that it's cringy at all. I I really am interested in hearing. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, the first issue of the newsletter was, uh, I mean, I sort of like, I think the like opening paragraph was like a defense of like why Ether should be valuable. Because uh, this is like after the Dow fork in 2016, like late August, I think or it was. Uh, and then from there, I sort of realized that what people really wanted was, you know, sort of a curated list of like tech focused links, or maybe that's just what I wanted to do. So that's what I did. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I mean, my understanding of the technology has evolved a, a bit too. I mean, I, uh, you know, I didn't really have a background in distributed systems and still don't. I mean, I'd like I've, I've now skinned some of these BFT papers and whatnot, but, um, you know, I, yeah. Um, uh, there's, there was maybe more copying and pasting of things that I didn't understand in the earlier issues than there is, you know, oh. than there were in later issues. I'd argue that's because you did the newsletter. Yeah. Yeah. I put a, hopefully I put it's in the time you. to like, understand In the same yeah. way, this podcast has shaped up in terms of exposing us to a lot of different things that we wouldn't have otherwise been exposed to. It shaped you and like giving you an understanding of the ecosystem that is hard to get if you don't do that. Yeah. Years of obsession has a, has a way of uh, giving you a certain amount of knowledge <laughs> about something, even, even if you don't necessarily have the background in it and even intuition about things that you really have not know nothing actually about. Um, 
so yeah, that's, it's like a, you know, and some of that is just, you sort of learn who actually knows what they're talking about. Um, and, and then there's some people that do know what they're talking about sometimes come off a little strong. John Adler is probably like a case there. Um, like, you know, he comes off a little strong sometimes. Um, so you sort of have to know when to filter it out, but I'd also say that sometimes I filtered things and, you know, thought I was right or other people were right, but John was right. So, um, yeah, it's a fun space. Oh yeah. It's not going to get any less fun. I still think we need slashing in proof of stake, but Hey, (laughs) (laughs) see, I'm with John on that, (laughs) but I think that's a little far afield from ending an interview. (laughs) It's perfect. Hard, hard hit and then leave. (laughs) (laughs) Right, it's guys, like twitter so, right that's all i mean that's you yeah, know like this is the last thing people, i'm gonna say and i'm gonna walk away yeah like people want you to like go into <laughs> us like some deep argument it's like really it's twitter like no i'm not gonna spend <laughs> 20 minutes writing out a deep argument when like you're just gonna mute me like 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 i do to most people that like ask me for deep arguments like come on it's twitter you just throw it out there and let it go you know like i feel, I feel like i've seen some really informative like like what do they call them like just chains tweet chains i don't tweet storms yeah yeah and because people get so mad that they're like okay i have to explain this in such a way that everybody understands where i'm coming from and then that allows people to kind of just learn more you know because somebody got upset (laughs) i do think threads can be valuable yeah and it's actually they're they're an interesting form of 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 learning and and disseminating knowledge because it's it's easier to write a tweet storm although uh, you know now that i'm a, a vc i have to write a lot of tweet storms apparently uh they can actually take you a, a decent amount of work i mean some people just like dash them off and you can sort of tell. yeah but it's also it's still even if it takes an hour or two like to make it concise and really to the point it's still sort of like easier than having to go through and write like a long form blog post, you know, or like yeah. even if it's a thousand words, because you just you express your point and then you like you have to get it concise because you only have this number of characters. And then you go to the next point and you got to get it down and <laughs> gas golf your tweet into those characters. Um, and yeah, I mean, I like it both as, you know, uh, I mean, I, we can all hate on Twitter, but Twitter has some good things, too. I agree. Well, <laughs> Find Evan Vaness on Twitter as Evan Vaness. Evan underscore Van underscore Ness. Yes. And we'll see you on the internet. Sounds good. Thanks for having me.